Welcome back to the Boar Sport Podcast. My name is Luke James, and for today's episode, I'm joined by Mitchell Ryan, a writer for the Boar Sport, and Josh Sim, the head of sport for Raw 1251 AM. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be discussing a couple of things related to European football, the first of which with regards to the German national team, the second this week's UEFA Europa League fixtures. And to kind of ease us into the topic, Josh... What is going on with the, with the German national team at the moment? So at the time of recording, uh, Joachim Love has uh, announced he will resign. He will leave the German national team set up at the conclusion of uh, the Euros, which we assume is happening this summer, obviously pandemic dependent. Um, it's, I mean, to put a bit of context for me and a bit of reaction from me, it's not really surprising. Um, this has been coming for a while now. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm a little surprised that there's not really a succession plan that the German DFB have put together already, uh, because Lerber for a while now has seemed like he was on his way out of the job. And I'm surprised they haven't really put together a plan to sort of um, plan for who, whoever came in next. But um, he's they've obviously announced the move beforehand. And I think it's a good idea that they have because it doesn't set up any uh, expectations or you know concerns over his performance in the tournament. Now that you know players and manager know what their what their respective destiny is following the tournament. So yeah, Lerber kind of took over as, as Germany manager on the twelfth of July two thousand and six. Since then, he's managed one hundred eighty nine games, of which Germany have won one hundred twenty, drawn thirty eight, and lost thirty one. In that time, they finished second at the European Championships twice won the World Cup and won a single Confederations Cup title. Mitchell, how do you appraise his time in charge of the German national team? Well, it's obviously recency bias is going to change uh, some people's views of Love's time at the helm. Um, well, with you know dropping out in the group stage of the World Cup last time around and uh, having some iffy results ever since. But you, you've got to applaud the man for what he's done. He's been there like 15 years now is it he's he's done exceptionally well to bring this germany team up like obviously they have a whole host of amazing talent but to you know win a world cup in, alone is a huge achievement to finish second at two european championships and a confed cup however you rank that amongst uh international competitions he's done really really well and it's always going to be a very tough act to follow Indeed, and I think the most interesting thing about this as well, kind of looking back on his career, is just the sheer length of time that he's been in charge of the German national team and kind of to look through his previous jobs. It was, it really is saying quite something to go from kind of managing the likes of Stuttgart, Fenerbahce, kind of had a spell in Turkey and in Austria as well. This is a manager who has made his name at the national team level, which isn't something you often see, especially with managers who have gone on to win things like the World Cup. One of the things that I, I found immediately frustrating about this news is that it revived the narrative that Jurgen Klopp was immediately going to leave Liverpool and, and become the German national team manager. Um, that speculation has, has been cut short, basically. Uh, the Athletic reported today that Jurgen Klopp is not interested in becoming the next manager of the German national team, which means we don't have to talk about Jurgen Klopp. But I will ask each of you, starting off with Josh, who do you think is next in line for Germany? Because, as you say, there doesn't seem to be a clear line of succession at the moment. 
Well, I'm glad you've opened with that because um, in Germany, there are obviously reports Christian Falk of, of Bild Sport obviously linked, has linked Klopp and uh, Hansi Flick to the role immediately. And I don't, like with Klopp, I'm not sure Hansi Flick would want to give up his role at Bayern Munich so easily. Um, and likewise, Julian Nagelsmann, I don't, think that, I don't think he feels his time is ready for the German national team either. So with those three out the way, I do feel like, and it is a boring-ish answer, I guess, but Stefan Kuntz, who's the manager of the under-21 side, is probably primed to take over, having obviously worked with a lot of the German national squad, who I'm looking at their recent, I guess, the squad for their most recent um, international game. And a lot of them are in their mid-20s, and it would make sense that they hire him um the wild card is ralph ranick and whether you know the german national team are willing to cede to ranick's obviously he's he's a guy who he he wants a lot of control and see those rumors he might have taken over at chelsea before thomas tuchel got the job there was um i think he said in an interview it was between him and sam allies for england once upon a time which now feels like a very long time ago and a more clear-cut decision now um but He's the wild card for me. If he gets hired, then there's a there's a lot of pedigree going into the job. But I, as I said, I do think Stefan Kuntz is probably the favourite at the moment. Mitchell, what about you? Because this kind of I'm I'm looking at the current German national team now. The vast majority of players, of course, currently playing for teams in the Bundesliga. Do you think it makes sense for kind of DFB to recruit from within, kind of knowing those players on a more personal level? Yeah, I mean. Obviously, it's always going to be uh, a difficult job for anyone who comes in next and obviously ruling out people like Klopp and I think Nagelsmann, uh, when asked about his uh, him potentially replacing Love, I think his response was just no, which you know immediately rules out two very high-profile managers out. I think recruiting cunts from within is, is a smart move because he already knows a lot of the younger players and if they look into the future, bringing you know, the under-21s up into the main national team is obviously a priority. So he's probably the nailed on favour at this point. Um, having looked into this a bit today following the announcement, I found some interesting um, odds that Arsene Wenger has actually tipped pretty highly to uh, take over, having, you know, been away from management for a while and now working with FIFA, I think. But yeah, for me, it's important that they stick with... Um, someone who's already who already has a good feel for the younger players and you know is is sort of within the the setup already so i think Kuntz is probably the the best move for the national team right now the final thing i wanted to ask about germany it kind of goes to you josh and it's like is this announcement for you do you think it will impact germany at euro 2020 as it's being called this summer because often when managers make these kinds of announcements it can affect their players certainly at a club level do you think that will carry over to to the national team as well well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because at the moment, um, obviously, Bruce Dortmund announced they were hiring Marco Rosa from uh, Mönchengladbach recently. And that has, I don't know how much of a bearing that has had on Gladbach's results, but certainly there's been a bit of a downturn and a drop-off in performance that's been quite surprising, to be honest. And um, with regards to this situation, I feel that obviously it'll be a, a monkey off Lerva's back because... For a while now, he's been under pressure, uh, under pressure to reform his methods from a possession game to a counter-attacking game. 
uh, obviously the disastrous 2018 World Cup as well, uh, getting eliminated at the group stage. So I feel like it's good news for him that this has obviously come out. It's probably good news for the DFB because this is essentially a lame duck coach now. I guess whatever happens, they know they're moving on. And I guess expectations at home will be tempered by that. And um, and uh, I, yeah, I guess the only one, I guess it's the players which are interesting because I guess it's now become, it's basically an audition for whoever comes in next. And that'll be interesting to see who, you know, decides to turn it on this summer. Obviously, it's, I mean, as I think, Luke, you discussed on one of our shows recently, I'm I'm concerned about the quality of football that's going to be on display at the Euros, given the amount of fatigue and amount of games we have in the really elongated club season. But um, all in all, I think overall, it was probably the right decision to make this announcement as early on as it feels like it is. I do promise this one will actually be the final question about the German national team. Mitchell, are there any, is there one player in particular you're looking forward to seeing play for Germany this summer? Um, I think just following on from his poor season at uh, Chelsea given injuries, I really want Kai Havertz to do well because I feel I feel for the lad because he's had this hefty price tag put on him since his summer move and then injuries have halted his progress and then the change of managers it just hasn't really gone his way and I think it's a real shame that such a huge talent like him has been sidelined and almost forgotten about uh, throughout this uh, this season so I think it'd be amazing for him and his confidence if he had a big performance this summer. Awesome and I think that just about wraps up our section on the German national team. I'm sure if you take a, a look over at sport, you'll find lots of content that's interesting to whatever your sporting tastes may be. However to the main topic of today's show so we wanted to talk about this week's Europa League matches. There are four British clubs in action, Manchester United versus AC Milan. Rangers travel to Slavia Prague on Thursday the 11th of March. Um, Also in action this week, Arsenal travel to Olympiacos and Tottenham host Dynamo Zagreb. As their first on the list, kind of as provided by UEFA, Manchester United versus AC Milan. That's probably the headline fixture of the tie, Josh. What are you expecting from both sides on Thursday night? I mean, this should be a really interesting game. Um, Obviously, between two sides that have had, I think, domestic seasons, maybe unexpected domestic seasons, I guess. Man United would, many people pick them to be second place at the moment. Granted, a fair way back from Manchester City, but... It's obviously they've done really well to be where they are at the moment. And as for AC Milan, I don't know if many people would have seen them coming. I mean, they are just six points behind Inter at the moment. And they've also had a really surprising season under a manager, Stefano Pioli, who was, if you remember, he was going to be sacked. We were expected him to be replaced by Ralph Ranić, but that didn't happen. And there's sort of parallels between that and Oleg and Solskjaer, two managers who sort of went stalled and have sort of survived the initial honeymoon, I mean, well, honeymoon period and then the initial pressure period and then have come out the other side of the tunnel, essentially. And so I think this will be a really interesting game. Um, just thinking on a matchup perspective, um, I'm curious to know what the roles of each side's fullbacks are because we know uh, Luke, well, Luke Shaw's done very well of late. Obviously, Man United have Alex Telesh to, rep- to rotate him with, so it will be interesting to see who they go for and what what they kind of opt for. Do they opt for caution on the on the fullback side? Do they opt to go forward? Because with Milan, 
Uh, obviously, you have Teo Hernandez on the left, who's a really exciting prospect uh, for France and for Milan. Um, and uh, Diogo Dallo, although I don't feel like he'll play, but David Calabria as well on the right, who's also had a very strong season as well. So I'm interested to see fullbacks-wise how they attack the game and if what sort of approach is taken. But all in all, it should be a very exciting game for sure. Manchester United, of course, it's worth remembering they won this competition back in 2017 under current Tottenham manager Jose Mourinho. Milan have reached the semi-finals of the Europa League or kind of its predecessors in 1971-72 and 2001-2002. And of course, on the line on this occasion is a place in the quarter finals. It's important to remember as well, the sides have previously met 10 times with five wins each, although that's somewhat of a kind of pointless statistic given how rarely they come up against one another. Mitchell, pointless statistics aside, what are you looking out for this week? Of course, Manchester United came off a brilliant win at the weekend over Manchester City in the Premier League. So is there a player, perhaps Manchester United, who you hope to see starting on Thursday night? Yeah, well... As uh, bitter as I am following the derby result, um, Manchester United did play very well. And you have to look at players like, obviously, the obvious contenders in Bruno Fernandes. And um, they will they will miss Marcus Rashford, I think, who has been ruled out because of the injuries sustained. And I think he brings like a lot of energy to this United team. But like um, like Josh said, Luke Shaw, he's he was annoyingly good against City on um, over the weekend. And I think he can really provide a, a good outlet for them going forward, as well as putting in a few good tackles at the back. So I think I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what Luke Shaw brings, if he is to play, of course, uh, over Alex Tellers. And especially given the lack of Rashford on that left-hand side, um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how he copes on that, uh, on that wing on his own. We recently published an, an article on kind of the Boer website about Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Of course, he's unavailable for this one as a result of an injury, but he's had a, a fantastic season this year since returning from Major League Soccer about 18 months ago. Josh, in kind of Ibrahimovic's absence, who do you think is going to be that, that, that main player up front for AC Milan on Thursday? Well, it will depend, I guess, tactically what they choose to go for. Um, obviously, the most like-for-like replacement would be Mario Mandzukic, who obviously has had a fantastic career um, and is now sort of a squad, squad player for Milan at the moment. I think like-for-like, characteristics-wise, um, he would be he would be the man um, that they look at and who know I mean he's not played too much for them but it'll be interesting to see and indeed he has had muscular problems so it'll be interesting to see if he's fit or not for the game but that's who I'm, I would look at but otherwise I think if he's not around I think Rafael Liao will be the interesting one because he is sort of a dangerous pacey forward who can lead the line on his own and also operates well in a front three in a front three and maybe they go for more of a dynamic attack will be really interesting and I think he will pose a danger to the likes of Maguire and Lindelof just because his unpredictability and pace and we've seen what happens to United um, at times when that happens <laughs> and um, I think he will be he will be a real threat for them and it'll be really interesting to see how he gets on against those defenders. The second leg of this last 16 matchup takes place in Italy on the 18th of March but before we get to that there's a couple of Really important things to remember. So first of all, Milan, if these players are booked in this match against Manchester United, they'll be unavailable for the second leg. 
Gianluigi Donnarumma, of course, the goalkeeper, and Alessio Romagnoli. If they're booked this time out, they cannot play in the second leg. Quite how Donnarumma has enough uh, yellow cards to, to be within a card or of suspension. I found somewhat surprising for a goalkeeper, but we'll move on. Uh, for Manchester United, Maguire, Lindelof and Brandon Williams are also at risk of missing the second leg if they are booked this time out. Mitchell, uh, would you be worried about any of those players picking up a second or rather a yellow card in this game? And if so, are there any of those who'd look to be resting if you were kind of one of the managers for this one? You know, obviously, like you said, the um, the surprising uh, inclusion of Gianluigi Donnarumma in that list, um, it, it's odd. And uh, I can't really see him being one of the favourites to pick up a yellow card in this match. But if he were, that is obviously a huge loss for Milan. Um, on the United front, I think Maguire is pretty important for them now. If they were to lose him for the second leg, that would be big for them. But at the same time, I can't see them risking the first leg without him. Because if you look at the options they have aside from him, obviously Lindelof will probably be playing beside him. But the backups aren't really up to that standard. And when you've got an £80 million defender, you want to be able to use him. So it's obviously a risk and he'll have to ease off the tackles, I think, a bit. But um, United will probably still look to play most of the players that are, you know, one booking away. Uh, maybe Brandon Williams might sit this one out, but um, who knows? Yeah. It feels a little bit counterintuitive to say this following, of course, Manchester United win in the derby at the weekend. But both kind of AC Milan and United have both come off kind of relatively average months by their standards in comparison to the form that they had previously. Manchester United, of course, a number of draws in a row. AC Milan kind of dropping off the top spot in Serie A and, of course, losing to the Milan rivals Inter a couple of weeks ago. Josh, at this stage, who do you, who do you make the favourites for this one? Is it is it United's to win, or is this a game that kind of AC Milan should be looking to take full advantage of? Uh, for this week's game, particularly, I think United will win the first leg at home. But I do fancy Milan to get uh, an away goal, and ultimately, I do think the second leg will come into play. And obviously, you know, we have no idea. Obviously, games UEFA are changing the games venues quite frequently um so it i mean i assume it'll be played in milan but for all we know it could be played in budapest or um or bucharest instead but i i do feel like milan will come away with i think i i actually back them to win the tie i think and i think it's i saw sort of, in my mind i'm thinking if it ends up two on it in this first leg then i fancy milan to win the second leg with that way goal in mind and ultimately come through the tie. I just, I I do feel like they have a, surpri a, lot, a surprising amount of depth in their team. And I do think, you know, they, they're they an exciting team going forward. And um, yeah, I think I do somehow again, against sort of English press, probably, <laughs> I, I put Milan as the favourites. Mitchell, what about you? Who do you think is going to progress through into the last eight from this tie between Manchester United and AC Milan? Yeah, I, I sort of agree here with Josh, honestly, controversial as it may be. I mean, I know I backed um, Real Sociedad in the uh, round of 32 and we know how that one ended. But uh, I think I agree following the Derby win, Man United will be high on confidence. Maybe without Rashford, they might struggle a little bit given how much he brings to the side. But I would say they'd probably squeak through this first leg. But especially provided um, the game being played at the San Siro, 
obviously lack of fans aside, I do think Milan will uh, come through this tie as winners eventually, provided they can get that crucial away goal at Old Trafford uh, on Thursday. And I think that probably just about wraps up our section on kind of United versus Milan. Um, what I should say at this point as well, if you listen to our previous episode where we covered European football, you might remember that I had to leave before the end of the show. I can assure you that I won't be subbing in our film editor to, to, to kind of finish off this episode for <laughs> me. Um, so at this point, we'll move on to the next game, including a British team. Slavia Prague at home on Thursday night against Rangers. Josh, of course, it was a great weekend for Rangers who, who won the Scottish Premiership title last weekend as a result of Celtic's 0-0 draw away at Dundee United. What do you expect from Steven Gerrard's team this time out? Um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what I think I would assume is if you were Steven Gerrard's, if I was in Steven Gerrard's position, I guess you do turn your attention towards playing more of your starters in European games. I mean, you've now got the league obviously sewn up and obviously the financial benefits of going far in, uh, for European run obviously, you know, help to strengthen their team. I believe, you know, having looked at the makeup of their team over recent years, I feel like their their European runs have, in, have helped them uh, bring in players that obviously have helped them towards the league title this season. And I... You know, it's it's very interesting because I, I do you play it safe and and hold out for a draw or a low scoring game or do you sort of go for it? And I do feel like this Rangers team will probably attack this tie on and obviously on the back of a lot of confidence having won the, the league. Um, but um, yeah, I you know there's always a potential of a bit of a hangover moment, and I'm sort of also expecting that to happen. So. It, it could go either way, to be honest. I don't really know. I sort of would caution towards the maybe low-scoring affair uh, for, for this Rangers team, but I don't, again, I have no idea if this will spur them on, the league win will spur them on, or will the celebrations be too much? That's, an, that's a question I, I don't really have the answer to at the moment. I think given kind of Rangers' last last game against Antwerp, it, anything is on the cards in terms of scorelines. That that was a truly fascinating match indeed. Um, Mitchell, I guess kind of the obvious question to ask next is what do you what do you expect from Prague? Because of course in the previous round they knocked out Leicester, where many of us thought that Leicester would kind of walk through into the next round. So this is a team that has some predigree in this competition as well. They reached the quarterfinals in 99-2000 and, of course, again in 2018-19 as well. So for the hosts, what are you looking out for? Yeah, well, I'm pleasantly surprised by Slavia Prague this season. I thought having lost, you know, two very good players to West Ham in um, Sufal and Suchek, they'd perhaps struggle. But no, they did brilliantly against Leicester City last time around. And honestly, they... Leicester were in a bit of a rough patch and are still sort of stumbling through uh, the Premier League season right now, what with the injuries that are racking up for them. Um, but, you know, on paper, you'd certainly say that Leicester were a stronger team than Rangers. But Rangers have done excellently this season. Um, and so they're definitely going to be a stiff opposition for um, the team from Prague. But I think they, they can ride off that feel-good factor of having just beat you know, a Premier League big boy in Leicester City, which still feels weird to say. But they, they definitely have it in them to cause an upset here. Um, especially in the first leg, I think Rangers will still be, like Josh said, on perhaps a bit of a hangover from their league title win. And 
Slavia Prague could very well capitalise on that, especially at home. I'd still back Rangers to get it done over two legs, but this could very well be a Slavia Prague win, or um, I'm predicting, you know, maybe a one-one draw in this first leg before Rangers perhaps turn it on at Ibrox. But they they certainly have the quality to uh, get one over here. Yeah, I think something to to keep an eye out for, especially in the first leg of this one, is that Slavia have six players who, if they are booked, they will be suspended for the second leg. That includes their centre forward Zima. So that's definitely an interesting thing to keep. Game progresses a similar story with Rangers. They have three players on the verge of suspension: Glenn Kamara, Kimar Roof, and Leon Balogun as well. I think we're probably at a stage where we can move on towards the next game. But before we do, Josh, who's going to progress in this one, Rangers or Prague? Oh, that's it's it's tricky because I agree with Mitchell. I do th- see the first leg being a goalless or one-one draw, and as we saw with. The, the previous tie with Slavia Prague against Leicester, a goalless draw uh, for Slavia Prague is not a bad thing because they're very much capable of, you know, getting a result on the road as well. Um, I will give Rangers the slight edge, but it it's it, it is slight. Like they are both sort of two teams who I can see they but I can see both getting through. It's as simple as that, and I, I do feel that. Um, it's going to be a close encounter. I, I, I think I give Rangers the edge um, now that they can sort of concentrate all their resources towards the Europa League. But um, but it's not a it's not by no means is it a confident prediction either. And over to you, Mitchell, Rangers or, or Prague for this one? Uh, yeah, I'd have to agree. It's a bit of a, a bit of a tight one to call. And I think if Rangers were to lose, you know, key players to suspension like. Kimo Roof or um, Leon Balogun, then that second leg could be a very tricky affair indeed, especially if they um, do end up drawing this first one. But I think Rangers definitely have the quality to progress to uh, quarterfinals at this stage, yeah. The next game that I want to discuss is Olympiakos versus Arsenal. I don't know about you both, but I feel like these two teams face each other kind of an abnormal number of times across, the time. across various <laughs> different competitions. Um, so I feel like they know each other relatively well at this stage. Um, of course, Olympiakos beat Arsenal in the round of 32 last season and then kind of a round later were eliminated themselves from the competition. Starting with you, Josh. Are we going to see the same thing happen this year? Is this another example where Arsenal are going to slip up in Europe? Um, well, I can only imagine what social media reaction would be like if they do. Um, it, I don't. Hmm. Again, it's 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 a tricky one because you'd never write off Olympiacos. It's a bit like Shakhtar Donetsk. They just have pedigree in this competition. You just it's you don't want to write them off, um, and certainly. With Arsenal, they can be, uh, they're still sort of finding their way. I don't think they, they've, they're they still sort of finding consistency. I mean, the last Premier League game, if we go off that against Burnley, that's a game they should be winning and ultimately didn't, weren't able to break down, yeah, albeit a very stubborn Burnley defence. But um, I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't really know because obviously it's, I think, and then you'll be, and I'm sure someone will be correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the away leg will also be in Greece. As in, and I, I know Arsenal played there during the first, during the previous tie. Um, and obviously, you know, with the quarantine rules, uh, it will, it may, it may be that Olympiacos have basically two home legs, albeit without fans, but still home comforts are nothing to be sneezed at. And so, um, 
it'll be it, i'm i'm very interested um to see what happens i know i you know it, i'm i'm curious to see what, how matthew balbuena does because he's obviously a danger man um el arabi is a really good uh, focal point as well going forward and um also i feel and i'm just checking it is yeah jan Manvia in is a really good anchor man albeit he didn't really show it at sunderland but across the continent he's shown he's he can be a really good defensive midfielder so there are some there are some players there that can certainly disrupt and uh, cause arsenal problems uh, on their day um in terms of where this game well the, these fixtures are going to be played the first game is going to be played in kind of olympiakos's home stadium the second is going to be played at the emirates as well at least that's how it's listed on the uefa website at the moment uh, the reason that arsenal played kind of at home in in kind of Greece last time out was because Portugal isn't on the UK's travel list or vice versa, whereas Greece apparently is. Um, Mitchell, what do you think of Arsenal at the moment? Because they seem to be improving under Mikel Arteta and then kind of immediately afterwards, they seem to be regressing once again. So it's they're a difficult team to read at the moment. Yeah, I agree. That's so hard to get a handle on this season. They're Honestly, I think 10th place is the perfect position for them because they're neither good nor bad. They're just somewhere right in between uh, and nobody can really read them. And I think you see that against Benfica in the last round. You know, they came through the first leg, um, having been by far the better team, in my opinion, in that first leg, uh, but only scraped the 1-1 draw. And then in the second leg, had to you know rely on some miracle work from uh, Saka and Aubameyang to pull them through to the round of 16. So they are just such a difficult team to get a handle on. But um, I think having been uh, tapped up by Olympiacos last season, they won't come into this perhaps as headstrong as they did last year. I think Arsenal probably saw Olympiacos on the team sheet and the likes of Aubameyang and, you know, Lacazette, their quality players, they were probably thinking, ah, just some, you know, plumbers from Greece will be all right. And inevitably they failed. And I think they'll come in perhaps a little wiser this season, um, perhaps a little stronger. And now that they know that they can't rely on the Premier League to get even Europa League qualification at this stage with several teams ahead of them in the packing order there, um, I think they will be focusing a lot of their attention on the Europa League. So they could definitely pull an Arsenal on us and end up losing 5-0 in Greece. Um, or they could, uh, and what I'm more expecting, more sort of quietly leaning to, is uh, perhaps just grinding out uh, a draw maybe in Greece or a 1-0 win and then a fairly comfortable 2-0 or 3-1 or whatever in uh, in London uh, to see them through to the next round. But like I said, it's Arsenal. You never know with this team. Uh, so in a word, Mitchell, do you think Arsenal are through or out after this one? Close, but through. And Josh, what about you? Do you think Arsenal are going through? E yes, although I'm quite intrigued by Socrates playing for Olympiacos. I I'm curious to see if he'll just cause some Arsenal fans to have a bit of a heart attack if he scores or something. That's what I'm looking out for. And that's the thing with the Europa League. There is, there is absolutely always a narrative to look out for. I, I was actually speaking about this the other day. So you remember a couple of years ago when West Ham qualified for back-to-back -back kind of qualifying rounds kind of before the group stage and I forgot that we were eliminated West Ham were eliminated by the same Romanian team twice 
um, which really impressed me. And we also lost kind of in a, in a round previous that uh, to a to a team from Malta, I believe. So yeah, there, there's always something to look out for with the UEFA Europa League. A team that will be hoping not to lose against a team from kind of a more obscure league is Tottenham. They face Dynamo Zagreb on Thursday. It's an eight o'clock kickoff on BT Sport. Jose Mourinho's team seem to be on the up again. And again, it, it, it's somewhat linked to the fortunes of Gareth Bauer, who has been playing very, very well since the start of this month. Josh, do you think Bauer's going to play on Thursday? Um, and if so, how important will he be? Uh, will Gareth Bale play on Thursday? Um, I am just trying to see. Well, I don't know because they play Arsenal on Sunday. So <laughs> I... I don't think, no, I don't think he would, actually, when I think about it. Against a North London derby against, I mean, albeit, you know, Arsenal and Tottenham, table-wise, a little, there's a bit of distance between them. But I think I think that he will save Bale for Sunday. If he does play, either he'll be subbed off around the 60-minute mark or he'll get a 20-minute cameo. Um, so, yeah, sorry, I forgot your second question. <laughs> Um, the second question, I believe, was something along the lines of if he does play, how important will he be? But as you're saying that he won't play, we'll use that as an opportune moment to yeah, switch I... over towards Mitchell. Mitchell, Tottenham have improved. I think that's that's fairly clear at mm. the moment. And the reason why I asked the question about Gareth Bale is that prior to the last couple of weeks, he was getting most of his football in the Europa League. And of course, since then, since we last spoke about the Europa League, Bao has come on leaps and bounds, has become one of the first names, presumably, on Jose Mourinho's team sheet. So if Tottenham do rotate, which players are you going to be looking out for kind of later this week? Uh, well, I think given it's the Europa League, you'd be looking at players like Carlos Vinicius, perhaps stepping into the fold, um, Bergwijn and Mora maybe. Um, if Bale is to be left out, could fill that void. Um, and I certainly think these are, you know, they're, they're good players. They'll certainly uh, do a job. Um, and up against a team like Dinamo Zagreb, obviously there are they are the top dogs in Croatia, and I think they have been for a good while. Um, no, nobody really challenging their uh, their throne there. But this is a like you say a Tottenham team in good form, and even if they do have to rotate a little bit and pull out maybe Bale or Kane, um, they still have. Vinicius, uh, you know, Bergwijn, Mora, maybe even Deli Ali if he plays again. Um, so they, they certainly have the quality and depth to get through this time, in my opinion. Josh, I felt bad for not asking about Olympiakos last time out. I felt there was a player who was looking to shout out. So I, I will pose the question to you this time <laughs> around. Is there anyone playing for Zagreb who, who you're kind of keen to see playing in Stockholm this week? Uh, there is actually, and um, it's someone who is headed to Leipzig in the summer, and that's Josko uh, Gavadiol. I uh, probably butchered his name, but I wrote about him uh, last year actually when I watched the end of the UEFA Youth League, and he is a really interesting centre back because he has sort of been able to match it, the physical side of the game really well to his technical side of the game. And Dinamo Zagreb has got a really, really good academy. Um, in, in terms of producing young players. And I'm very interested to see how he gets on. Um, and obviously with an eye to how he'll do at Leipzig beyond the season, but I am very interested to see how he gets on uh, against 
well, who we expect, I mean, we expect Carlos Vinicius to probably lead the line. So it'll be a challenge for him. And uh, also Lovro Maya as well, who's another young Croatian who um, plays more as an attacking player. I'll be, yeah, interested to see how they get on because it doesn't, <laughs> the competition doesn't really get tougher than a, a top English team. And it'll be very interesting to see, you know, what, if they can cause them any problems at all. Maya is one of those players as well who, if he is booked in the first leg, will miss out on the second through the suspension. For Tottenham, Deli Ali, Matt Doherty and Pierre-Emil Hoyerberg are also at risk of suspension if they are booked this time out. Same question as last time. Uh, Mitchell, in a word, is this Tottenham's or Dynamo Zagreb heading into the next round for you? Um, as much as I'd love to see uh, Zagreb go through to the quarterfinals, I'm going to have to say Tottenham here. And Josh, what about you? Yeah, Tottenham will probably get through this one. I trust them more than the Arsenal prediction, so yes. <laughs> Definitely. I, I, there's so many different kind of interesting dynamics this week with the games in the Europa League. And we're now quickly in the past kind of last five minutes of the show, we're going to talk about some of the other fixtures to keep an eye on. Josh, the question I wanted to ask you as someone who kind of has a keen interest in Swiss football, why should people watch Ajax versus Young Boys on Thursday night? Um, it's, it's two teams who have got really strong attacking philosophies. I think Ajax, I've not seen a whole lot of Ajax of this season, but obviously Eric Ten Hag knows only one way to play football, and that is to commit men forward and attack. Um, and there's a lot of very exciting players, such as Ryan Gravenberg, uh, the 18-year-old, who I think is primed for big things. And young boys as well, who have dominated the Swiss domestic campaign. Um, their manager, Sione, is linked with a Bundesliga job in the near future. He's done a really great job as well. Um, and knocked out a really a really talented Leverkusen team um, in the last round. So, uh, I yeah, this team. I mean, it's it's primed to be an entertaining game. Um, it's probably going to be a hipster's choice, if I may say so myself. Um, but yeah, I, I am I am very intrigued to see how these two teams get on and sort of tact tactically how how they match up against each other because both teams are very capable going forward. Um, and yeah, it should be a very interesting one to watch. Mitchell, it wouldn't be a UEFA Europa League knockout round without a Ukrainian team in action. Dynamo Kiev are up against Unai Emery's Villarreal this time out. What do you expect? I'm assuming you probably know more about Villarreal. What are you expecting from kind of Emery's team on, on Thursday? Um, I'm expecting to do well, honestly. It's a shame because, you know me, uh, unless Man City are playing, I, I really want the underdogs to come through. But uh, I think, especially in uh, La Liga, uh, Emery's team have done reasonably well. They've stumbled a bit lately. Uh, I don't think they have a win in their last five, actually. So it could be an interesting one, but I do think they have enough to get past um, Dinamo Kiev uh, here. Josh, another Ukrainian team in action, kind of on the late round of kickoffs on Thursday evening, Roma at home against Shakhtar Donetsk. I saw an interesting report today linking kind of Maximiliano Allegri with the job in Ukraine. That one was interesting. But besides that, what are you looking out for from both of these sides? Um, well, it, it'll be interesting to see how, I guess, domestic form translates 
to uh, the European side. Uh, Shakhtar obviously have a lot of pedigree in this top tournament. I think they made the semifinals last year. They are an exceptional, uh, obviously very exceptional in the European um, sort of format of competition. But also they are really, really interesting to watch going forward. I watched them last year and they haven't really had a lot of squad turnover and a lot of their players really impressed at how just fluid that they attack and how you know they're able to get the ball forward at, at speed. Um, so on that side, I'm very interested to see how if they've evolved or not, um, or, or because they because they are a really good team to watch going forward on the eye. Um, and as for Roma, Roma hit some good form recently, and uh, you know they have obviously they lost to Milan uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, aside from that blip, they've obviously got some really interesting players. Obviously, you know interest from the UK, Chris Smalling, obviously plays there at the moment, sealed that permanent transfer last summer. Uh, Pedro obviously left Chelsea, went to Roma. So there is some players there. Obviously, uh, Tanzer plays like Lorenzo Pellegrini, who um, is always one to watch, uh, very exciting player. Uh, so yeah, should be, uh, again, another interesting tie. Um, but I would, in my view, I'd probably make Shakhtar the favorites because um, just they seem to be a lot more consistent in this type of competition. The final fixture to discuss before we end this episode, I think it's episode number 16 of the Boar Sport podcast, is Granada versus Mulder. And I'll give you some background on this one, Mitchell, before we get into it. So this is historic in many senses. So it's the first time the two sides are meeting in competitive action. It also happens to be Granada's debut season in Europe. It is also the first time that Mulder have reached this stage of the Europa League. Is there anything at all that we should kind of note before we end the podcast? Um, well, this is going to be an interesting matchup because I think Granada are not doing amazingly in La Liga this season. Um, I think they're currently stuck about halfway down in 10th, yeah. Um, so they're, you know, obviously from a, a higher rated league, but they're not necessarily up to uh, up the standard uh, over there in Spain and are uh, a good few points off the European places. Um, whereas Molde, although granted they play um, in Norway, they in their, in their last 2020 season, they um, finished second, a uh, fair bit behind the league leaders, granted. But Molde are a threat. And I think this will be an interesting matchup, especially for um, neutrals who obviously don't know an awful lot about either of these two teams. Um, I think, honestly, I, I'm quietly backing uh, Haaland's old team to um, get one over the uh, Spanish club here and progress to the quarterfinals, which would be an amazing season um, for whichever of these teams uh, progresses to the next round. But it is very much a, uh, a minnows clash, I think, compared to the other matches going on. And that just about brings us towards the end of this episode of the Boar Sport podcast. Today, we have spoken about Joaquin Lowe's kind of imminent departure from the German national team head coach's position. Since then, we have discussed Ajax versus Young Boys, Dinamo Kiev versus Villarreal, Manchester United versus AC Milan, Slavia Prague versus Rangers, and then the late kickoffs on Thursday, Roma versus Shakhtar Donetsk, Olympiakos versus Arsenal, Tottenham Hotspur versus Dynamo Zagreb, and last but not least, or perhaps least in the eyes of some, Granada versus Mulder. Thank you so much both to Josh and Mitchell for joining me for this episode. I will put a link to uh, Raw 1251AM Sport Twitter account in the description below. I'll also list Josh's and Mitchell's accounts too. 
Before we go, though, what I will say is that if you like ice hockey, you should subscribe to the podcast feed because we've got a really exciting interview coming up next week. But that's all I will say for now. So once again, Josh Mitchell, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Luke.